0: episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin here with uh, my good friend, collaborator, uh, <laughs> personal hero, David Hampton. How you doing, David? Oh, well,
1: thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Well, uh, that's
1: a good. That's a that's an enthusiastic. Uh,
0: response. Re- <laughs> it really is. I, you know, for, for uh, listeners who are new to the show, you know, we launched this thing and uh, you know, David's the recovering alcoholic and I'm a recovering sex addict. Quite certain that, you know, that's my definition. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, because I'm not an alcohol, because I am a sex addict, uh, that's what I'm going to be. And although I really actually don't like that term, it's a pretty bad term, but anyway, uh, <laughs> that I could, that I could, you know, that I could drink safely and it wasn't going to have much of a negative impact on my life. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, alcohol did help, I think, in the early stages of recovery. Uh, trying to put things back together with my wife and all that kind of stuff. However, uh, it has become increasingly apparent over the years that um, that alcohol wasn't doing me any favors. And although, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I haven't crossed the line, the imaginary line, I guess never got a DUI, all that kind of stuff, which we'll we'll get to later in the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, it's become more and more evident to me that. So so I've been boring my friends in daily conversations, agonizing over my inability to stop drinking. (laughs) So I I, I finally needed to just, you know, hit a stop date. So I decided first of July, it's going to be dry July anyway, and we'll leave Mm -hmm. August to fend for itself. I'm 21 days into dry July. And once again, David, just stunned, stunned mm-hmm. by how much life improves when I stop drinking alcohol. It's astonishing, really.
1: Well, there are, you know, uh, there are lots of benefits. <laughs> oh, <laughs> lots of benefits to uh, yeah. to abstaining from alcohol, regardless of anyone's relationship to alcohol. You know, right,
0: right, oh. yeah, yeah. And it's not just that I stop drinking alcohol. I really right. paid attention to some positive sobriety. What am I going to do instead? I got more money and I got more time mm-hmm. uh, and more energy. I'm sleeping better. Mm-hmm. Uh, alcohol certainly disrupts sleep. So, so yeah, so I've done a few things. Allie and I have joined uh, the local Planet Fitness as soon as we wrap oh, this great. session. As a matter of fact, we'll be going down to the, the gym, which we both enjoy. How crazy is that?
1: That's pretty uh, good.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, dropping pounds. I did manage, you know, it seems as though it's pretty easy to put the pounds on when you're drinking. Uh, so yeah, the scale, well, the scale is going in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I noticed that when I'm not drinking with my meal, I make better food choices, right? And I eat more mindfully. So True. yeah, just feeling overall so much healthier. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't have that cobwebby feeling in the morning mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't drift off into, you know, oblivion after five o'clock when it's time to pick up the first drink. Right. Uh, yeah. So I'm present throughout the evening. Golly, it's, it's so much better. Yeah. So
1: Well, you know, um, uh, we always, we always tell folks structure, activity, and connection, You know, Mm -hmm. um, if you had to do three things, you know, structure, activity and connection and, you know, structure just being uh, I I tell people to adopt a go to bed and get up early time, even if you're between jobs, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, because just just even doing that starts you out with a time frame you know, right. yeah. if I don't have anything to do and I just kind of let everything happen and maybe I'll get up at 10 a.m. and maybe I'll get around to having breakfast for lunch and maybe I'll get around to doing something productive mm-hmm. in the afternoon because I don't really have anywhere to be. That doesn't really serve uh, us very well, you know, with our yes. mental health right. sometimes. I mean, sure, we all need a lazy day now and then, but but, but when that becomes a lifestyle, that's a, that's a dangerous thing. And so in recovery, we love you know, structure and activity, you're going to go to the gym, you're going to get some great endorphins and your feel good chemicals are going to kick in and that's going to be great. And you've got plenty of connection. You're one of the most connected people I know Um, as far as, you know, having people you relate to and talk to. And, and so, you know, even just doing those three intentional things gives you such an advantage of um, pushing back the, the, the need to drink or that potential trigger to drink. So I'm, I'm first of all, proud of you. And, and I'm glad that you're experiencing the benefits of it because, you know, I mean, we can all tell people here's, here's what it feels like not to do this and trust me, you'll like it, you know, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, the, but, but you're experiencing it. And, and that's what is the, that's what is the incentive. I think not, not, um, you know, me, me convincing someone, uh, of something, but, but yeah. the experience. Yeah.
0: I think maybe and we're going to talk a little later in the show about cultural change and the way Mm -hmm. attitudes shift. Uh, I I saw a news uh, piece yesterday about uh, there is a market increase in the dating app world of uh, a, a growing trend for sober dates. More and more people are putting in their profile that they would like a sober date. That first, that we're mm-hmm. not going to go to a bar. We're not going to go to a club. We're going to go to coffee. We're going to go do some. We're going to have activity, and they make sobriety uh, one of the things they're looking for in that first contact, and uh, and yeah. that makes them appealing apparently uh, to uh, mm-hmm. a growing uh, number of people, uh, you know, who are also you know on the app. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? Sober dating It's a new hot trend.
1: (laughs) You know, I think in as much as the culture, you know, certainly, you know, consuming probably more more alcohol than we ever have. And we have our issues with substances and things. But Mm -hmm. um, there's a there seems to be a cultural awareness about um, the importance of uh, sobriety among younger people.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 You know.
0: Yeah. And that's yeah. That's what the piece said. This is really this is something that's happening among the younger folks. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that's a good. You know, there may be fewer disastrous relationships uh, because they're not going to be <laughs> formed in the fog, you know. <laughs> of yeah. The, uh, after the fifth drink. Right?
1: Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to yeah, get yeah,
0: a clear eyed assessment of this person. Maybe. Yeah,
1: yeah. A little a few a few less. Don't forget your phone moments for people <laughs> with. When they kind of wake up with that mysterious person that was uh, that's so yeah. appealing at around 2 a.m. Yeah.
0: yeah oh,
1: man. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, we do have a fascinating guest uh, and, uh, and, and I think a great conversation. Uh, listeners, uh, you'll enjoy this. Well, let me see. You will appreciate it. It's not going to be entirely, uh, you know, a, a feel good uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. Although, uh, in the end, uh, you're going to have a clarity that you're going to appreciate. Yeah. When we return on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Uh, David, you have managed somehow to secure a five-star guest for us this week. (laughs) <laughs> uh, would, uh, go ahead and introduce her. We,
1: we try We try, Nate. Um, yes, we are real happy to have Candace Leitner with us. And Candace is the founder of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and she's also uh, the founder and president of an organization called We Save Lives. And we're going to hear more about what that is as well. But, um, you know, Nate, a lot of times we um, we have a lot of guests on the show. We talk about our behaviors and how they've impacted ourselves and um, the the ways that, you know, addiction has robbed us of a lot of things. But we don't often talk about the way our behaviors have impacted others in um in, in society and in our families and so forth and so um, I'm real happy to have Candace here today to uh, to share her story with us on that
2: Thank
0: you uh, oh it's great to have you with us Candace uh, when did you when did you launch mothers against drunk driving uh,
2: 1980 actually on May 7th. Of 1980, my daughter was killed on May 3rd, and I found out about the man who killed her on May 7th. So I, I actually started it then, but we didn't really launch it until the end of August. Mm-hmm. And Mad uses the date of September 5th, which ironically was um, the twin's birthday, because that was the day we got our incorporation papers, you know, wow. we were wow. we were wow. official. but I actually started it not long after her death.
1: Oh, my God. Um, well, I'm sorry for your loss, first of all. Um, but what a um, what a way to take something like that and and turn it on um, the, the culture and say, you know, what are we doing? Um, mm-hmm. So how how has it been with respect to having an organization like this? And then um, what have been some of the ramifications that you've seen from the, the work that Matt is doing?
2: Well, if you're talking about the positive ramifications, um, God, we had presidential task forces to solve the drunk driving problem. Every governor in every state um, formed a task force to solve the problem of drunk driving. We reduced deaths and injuries by, I think, 20% within the first three years. Um, We were probably, if not the reason well, I think we were the reason that victim impact statements became so doable in courts. Mm -hmm. Um, We started that. I mean, there was so, in fact, I just had to list all our accomplishments for a group I'm talking to next week at Columbia, but, um, You know, we got victims declared, victims of impaired driving, declared victims of violent crime. I mean, there are just a number of things. But I think there are two big things, in my opinion. One is the cultural change, Mm -hmm. because at the time I started MAD, and I used to say this, drunk driving was the only socially acceptable form of homicide in this Mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. And the second was, believe it or not, how it inspired so many other people to start movements. Yeah I, mean, yeah, yeah, I often get newspaper clippings, or I used to uh, get newspaper clippings all the time. Or I'd read, or somebody would call and tell me that uh, other parents who suffered tragedies uh, had seen what I did and decided to do something on their own as a result of what I did. And I, I still hear about that actually. So. I think to me, that's almost equally as important as saving all those lives. And I I know I'm credited with saving something like 400 or 600,000 lives, but it's to see all these people become empowered to create change as a result of a personal tragedy in many cases. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I am really struck by the cultural uh, change. It it hit home uh, maybe a couple of months ago when Allie and I, You know, scrolling through Netflix or one of the streaming services came across a movie that we loved in the 80s, Arthur, uh, in which Dudley Moore plays this lovable drunk. He's Mm -hmm. just adorable drunk Uh who's driving his, uh, you know, sports car, weaving through the road. Uh, We laughed in
2: 1980.
0: Mm -hmm. Today we were
2: appalled. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Listen, when Johnny Carson, when our bills passed um, mm-hmm. in 1981, Johnny Carson came out on New Year's and said, I just want to alert all Californians that you can no longer drive drunk. You know, these bills have mm-hmm. passed, you can go to jail. I mean, it was really very impressive. Several months later, he was arrested for drunk driving, and mm-hmm. he came on his show with a cop and made a joke out of it. And the press, in, including myself, I was on every major talk show, uh, just took him to task like you wouldn't believe. And that would not have happened before my daughter's death. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just went after him. I mean, this was definitely not something you make a joke out of, et cetera. And, and, and I'll share with you another story that I use, but um, I used to do Good Morning America every year at Christmas time. This is when David Hartman was a host whom I really liked a lot. And the first year I came on, I saw down in the um, lobby, I saw a sign that said something about, hey, uh, Christmas party, you know, all, all these drinks and food and drinks and food and blah, blah, blah. And so I, when I went on to do the show, David said to me at the end of the segment, is there anything you'd like to see changed? And I said, yes, that <laughs> sign in your lobby.
0: I'd uh-huh. like
2: you, you could say, um, we will provide free taxi service for those who drink. Yeah. And I, I, when I left the show, I thought, well, I'll never be invited back. You know, give that one up. And the next year I was, and that was on the sign. You know, I mean, a lot of little things like that. that ended up, I mean, there were major things too, but, you know, just changes like that that make you feel good about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, wow. well, wow. I was at a wedding recently, Candice, and um, and the bride and groom had provided safe transportation mm-hmm. um, for the guests. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there were certain people that had, had designated themselves as safe drivers, and uh, they were sober and stayed sober that night. And then they had other, you know, um, of course, paid drivers as well. But um, but yeah, that was a. I mean, it was like it's in the it's in the conscience of young people now you know that right. it wasn't before
2: there because that's how they were raised my girlfriend often tells me that her son would frequently call her and say mom come pick me up i'm in a situation where i've been drinking or i'm with people who have been drinking when i was 18 19 i lived in germany and i actually I spent a number of my teen years in europe living in europe and i remember in germany you know they have fashing. And that's in February there. And I I had a lot of German friends. And I remember them saying to me, all right, now we want you to take a taxi here. And we're going to take a taxi to the celebrations. And then you'll take a taxi home. And we don't want you to drive your car. And I said, why? And they said, because you're going to be drinking. And in Germany you could drink at 19. What can I say? And so um, I said, okay. Then I came back to the States. And nobody said that. I mean, it was just nobody said anything about taking taxis and doing all this kind of stuff. And I thought, God, what a difference in attitude and, you know, went on to live my life. But now it's really when I go lecture, I have to take especially young people. I have to go back, you know, 40 years because talking about drunk driving to them is like, what? There's no problem. You know, why why are you talking about something that isn't a problem? you know, that because their consciousness has been raised by their families. And so, you know, they just think that this is something you don't do. And I mean, granted, they know that people are. And as you know, uh, deaths and entries went up during the pandemic, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so did drunk driving deaths. A lot of it was due to speeding and distracted driving, but, you know, drunk driving also went up. Um, but, you know, young people today don't, just don't, understand it because to them it is socially unacceptable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I heard a radio, uh, commercial yesterday. The first time I recall hearing it and it went something like, uh, uh when you're high, your, uh, you know, your, your feelings change, your percent, your perceptions change and your driving changes don't drive high. Right. Uh, I don't listen to a lot of the radio. I don't know how long that ad's been running, but I'm wondering now with the uh, spread, the legalization of marijuana uh, state to state, more and more states making it the recreational use of marijuana legal. Uh, educate us a little bit on uh, the effect of driving uh, of, of being high has on driving. Uh,
2: in, well, there's a whole list of things that affects your vision. It affects your uh, time reaction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, impacts your brain to some degree. Uh, people think they're driving slower. They think they're driving faster. I mean, there's a, just a list of things. But to me, it's kind of a common sense thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and that is, if you're going to take medication or anything to cha- that's going to change your behavior, Mm -hmm. then obviously your driving behavior is going to change. And that's not just true for marijuana. That's true for other medications as well. And so um, I get very, in fact, today I, I got an email from this guy in someplace Australia who tries to show by different studies that marijuana does not impact your driving. It does. I mean, the reality is it does. It impacts you. If it impacts you and you're, I mean, why do you take it? You know, mm-hmm. if it isn't to feel different, better, good, yeah. whatever, worse, I don't care. Um, and I, every time I see this, I, I, I email him back and I just go, common sense, you know, common yeah. sense, <laughs> um, which we seem to set aside a lot. But um, let me talk about something about recovery and about addiction. And I have yeah. a son an addict, so recovering addict. I want to talk about the enabling process, if you don't mind. Yeah, I The biggest problem that I had in dealing with um, impaired driving and drunk driving um, were certain organizations that, you know, believe that that spouses belong to or whatever, that believe that you should live your own life as much as possible and disassociate from whoever the drinker is. And I actually went to battle with some of them. But um, there's this kind of conception, or there was, maybe that's changed too, that if you're married to somebody who's drunk or your kid's an alcoholic or, or an addict or whatever, that you should, and it is very frustrating dealing with an addicted child, believe me, I know. But that you should try and um, live your own life as much as possible because of all the stress you go through, et cetera, outside of maybe trying to help the kid. But the one thing that I think is really important that a lot of families don't realize, and I see this all the time, is that they know their child is an addict. They know their child drinks and they still let them drive. Um, They actually will give them the keys. They'll buy them cars. Um, We had a real tragedy once in which a young man picked up a young girl. They were going to the prom and her, his home was actually around the corner from her home. And so he picked her up and he took her over to his home where his parents served alcohol. And on the way to the prom, they crashed, she died. Um, He was fine, but what did his parents do? They bought him another car. And I think that, um, we as a society are enablers, number one, we don't hold people accountable. And I think it's really important that if you are a family member um, or a loved one or even a friend of someone who is an addict, that you do not enable them to drive, that you do not with them, that you do not, that you do everything to keep them from driving, that if you're a parent, you don't serve alcohol in your home, that you don't uh, give your kid the keys to the car, you don't buy them cars, you don't get, let them get a license if you suspect they have a problem. I mean, vaping right now is a horrible problem um, and very addictive. But I mean, that you really act responsibly, at least in terms of their driving. You may not be able to control everything that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know this from firsthand experience, but you can control their driving. And Mm -hmm. so I would just like to encourage people to do that as much as possible.
1: Yeah. I heard a statistic recently, Candice, for Tennessee, and I don't know if this is true, and I'm always a little leery of statistics because you never know sometimes where they're coming from. But uh, I heard that before an an individual gets their first DUI, Mm -hmm. they potentially have driven uh, impaired up to like 65 times or something.
2: A hundred times is the one we used to use. So it was up to a hundred times without getting caught. Right. And, uh, and yeah, that's absolutely correct. And, and a lot of it too depends upon their BAC. Obviously if they have a higher Mm -hmm. blood alcohol content, man, they've been driving, you know, constantly because Mm -hmm. usually that indicates either an alcoholic, um, or someone with a serious drinking problem. And, um, so, yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Wow. And so, I mean, that to your point about enabling um, mm-hmm. that, that would seem to imply that an individual would go through an awful lot of people to get the opportunity to drive a <laughs> hundred times, you common know,
2: uh-huh. yeah, yeah, it goes
1: back to common sense. Um, um, that just seems to be, you know, like a hundred opportunities that, you know, they've they've had and, and not been deterred by, by other people other people.
2: The man who killed my daughter was out on bail from another hit and run drunk driving crash the night before. And he went to a bar after he got out of jail. Well, actually what he did is he went, he had totaled his car in the crash the night before he killed my daughter. Then he went home and got his wife's car who gave it to him knowing he had totaled his car in the crash the night before, but went ahead and gave him her car and the keys and he drove straight to the bar, unfortunately, in my neighborhood, and was drinking. And around 1 and 120 one o'clock he left and and killed my daughter on the way home. He actually passed out, blacked out through 125 feet, left her in the road to die, blacked out, went home. And I, I think, what about the bartender? What about I mean, if he was that drunk? You know that he's blacking out after he kills my child. What? What were they doing? What were they thinking? And ironically, because um, we stayed in that neighborhood for a period of time, I remember one time I was going. It was in a little strip center, and I was going to the store. I think it was a cleaners, and I noticed somebody who was getting in their truck from that bar was really drunk. And I went over and I stopped them and I said, and I took the keys. Uh, They had put them in the ignition and I physically stomped him, grabbed the keys and I said, you're not driving. And he was so drunk. He he really couldn't argue with me because he was too drunk to argue. Yeah. And I said, give me a phone number of somebody. And he gave me his daughter's phone number. And um, I called her and she came and picked him up. But I went into the bar after that because it wasn't that long after my daughter died. And I told, I said, what is with you people? And actually we started um, the first server training program in California as a result of that. It was like, wait a minute. People need to be trained, I guess. You're, 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 you're dispensing a drug and it is a dangerous drug, you know, mm-hmm. and you're doing it without a license, basically, and no training and no background whatsoever. And so and I'm a big believer in server training and I am a big believer in third party liability. So um, so we actually launched a serving uh, server training program in California as a result of that.
1: Wow.
0: Wow. Every person engaged in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for being involved. Maybe it's a husband or wife, a daughter or son, a mom or a dad, a best friend, a colleague, a job, a hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On the Positive Sobriety podcast, we understand that the opposite of addiction Is connection and our mission includes building a strong community and working together to break the stigma of alcohol addiction. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink to expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or a relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at Soberlink.com slash PSP. That PSP, of course, stands for Positive Sobriety Podcast. The link, again, is Soberlink.com slash PSP.
1: Well, you've launched another organization, uh, mm-hmm. that we want to talk about. And we we spoke earlier just a little bit about, uh, it's called We Save Lives. Um, right. and, t- and tell us about that.
2: Um, starting that and starting chapters and doing grassroots was great, but I didn't want to do that again. So We Save Lives is a partner organization. We have partners from all over the country. And I think we have one or two from outside of the country. And basically, we focus on the three Ds, drunk, drugged, and distracted driving. And we focus on, we we launch actually a number of campaigns. We have a number of programs. And our purpose is to educate people about a different way of driving, you know, that there are safe choices that you can make because... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you looked at our website, but we actually launched a campaign called Drop the A Word or Crash versus Accident. These are not accidents. These are choices people make. And accidents is the wrong word. It's the word defense attorneys use all the time. Well, Your Honor, so what if you killed five people? It was just an accident. These are not. These are choices that people make. And so. Mm I just passed a bill in California that I'm very proud of, the first state to do so, that changed out the vernacular in all of the drunk, drugged, and distracted driving legislation, changed out the word accident to crash. And actually, drunk and drugged driving are crimes, and they're violent crimes. But how often do you hear the media say, um, this person was killed in a drunk driving crime? You know, these are crimes. They'll say mm-hmm. drunk driving accident or there was alcohol involved in this accident. Well, again, accidents are choices. These aren't choices.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, That's- I'm sorry.
2: Accidents are not choices. These are choices. Accidents yes. are things that happen because of circumstances, but that you can't control. And these are circumstances you can't control. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to us a little about distracted driving
0: and uh, oh. what. Yeah. Uh, How much does driver distraction uh, impact uh, the death statistics on the highway?
2: Well, you can't. We don't have that information because police don't arrest for distracted driving. So we have no way of keeping track. So, for example, I was involved in a crash about seven years ago, six, six, seven years ago. Um, The woman. I, did, I I had to make a quick stop because of road work and I stopped and she didn't. And I actually watched her and I knew she was going to hit me and she didn't, she totaled both our cars, um, wow. broke my back. Oh. And I said to her when they got me out of the car, I was screaming and I said, you weren't watching what you were doing. You were distracted. And she was a nurse. And she said, yes, I was. Yes, I was. And I said you were on your cell phone. And when the cop came along, she admitted right up front, she said, This was my fault. I was not paying attention. Do you know what he t-? and I screamed at the cop, but do you know what he ticketed her for? Following okay. closely. Oh. oh. So man. clear cut. She says it. I say it. The law in Virginia at that time, I think it was a secondary offense, but what did he charge her with following too closely? So we don't have any idea, but I'm going to tell you. In fact, I just read of a horrible crash. Did you hear about it in California where the mother um, was driving her two little children from a dance competition or to a dance competition mm. and rolled, went over the median and rolled her vehicle and the children were saved by good Samaritans, but she was not and this is just an opinion of mine. They couldn't, they didn't find alcohol or drugs, but I'll bet you any amount of money she was distracted. Yeah. You know, either on her phone or with her kids or something. So anytime I hear of a crash and they don't have a clear cut um, reason for the crash, such as alcohol or drugs, which themselves are distracting, chances are it's distracting, you know, it's distraction. And look, you guys, you drive, right? You go down the highway. How many yeah, times do you see? With their stupid cell phone stuck to their ear or on their Bluetooth and they're talking away, you know, looking up, you know, at their Bluetooth. And driving with a Bluetooth is like driving under a 0.08 BAC, blood alcohol content. It is just as dangerous. Is it? I think distracted driving is going to take over. Drunk driving is the number one cause of crashes in this country. I do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have laws in Tennessee. We're in the greater Nashville area. We have laws in Tennessee about um, handheld. You can't hold your phone. You can't be, you know, all of that. It's got to be, you know, wireless. But I don't see any difference when I drive down the highway of anybody really. I don't know if I don't know how many people are observing that really, because I see a lot of phones and a lot of hands. Well, first
2: you have to determine if it's a primary law or secondary law in Tennessee. Mm. If it's a primary law and the police see someone doing this, which is really hard to do if you're holding your cell phone down, mm-hmm. um, then uh, they actually have to see, and, and you know, Bluetooth apparently is still legal in Tennessee, they have to see someone that looks like they're talking on their cell phone, and usually that's holding it up to your ear, and then they can stop them. And then uh, if it's a secondary law, unfortunately, the police have to see them violating another law that's a primary law, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, speeding. And then they can charge them with a secondary offense of driving distracted. So it's really very difficult to enforce. And, um, you know, I, I love police. I back the blue. But there's a lot of room for improvement in many ways. And one of them is in this area. They just really... Don't arrest, and they tell me it's too difficult to see, to know, to prosecute. I used to hear that about drunk driving, too. And unfortunately, that enables people to continue driving with their cell phones. Look, I saw somebody the other day that had their computer tablet up, you know, on the steering wheel. And they were doing their tablet, and they had their cell phone in their ear. And I actually have had friends tell me. My friend who borrowed a truck said, "Oh my God, talk about an eye-opening experience!" He said I could see down and see what everybody was doing. He and he was telling <laughs> that people were doing things that you just don't do. See <laughs> <It's laughs> of your bedroom. Uh-huh. I mean, seriously. And I'm hearing these stories, and I'm thinking, common sense. What's wrong with people? You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just. I have a thing. I have a policy. I encourage you to have the same policy in all of your friends, relatives, and anybody who's listening. My policy is I will not get in the car with anybody who drives distracted or doesn't wear a seatbelt. And I let everybody know that up front. And I say, I just want you to know, and by the way, I don't have a car. And I rarely drive unless somebody's lent me their car. I rent a car. Um, because I have PTSD as a result of the crash. And so that the fact that my son was run over by an unlicensed drug driver, and my daughter was killed by a drunk driver, so it kind of piled up. But anyway, so I just tell people up front, including taxi drivers, I won't take Uber or Lyft, but I tell them, um, you have to wear a seatbelt um, before I get in your car, and you cannot use any sort of mobile device. And if you don't know your directions, I will give them to you from my phone. You know, I will say them Mm -hmm. out loud or if you want to put it on voice and have it tell you, that's fine. But you cannot look at your phone, your little phone, and try Mm -hmm. and read the map while I'm in your car. And -hmm. the reason for that is because I value my life and Mm -hmm. I want to live. I have grandchildren. I want to see my great-grandchildren. So Mm -hmm. this is my rule, my policy. And if you can't abide by it, then I just don't get in your car. And I have never had a problem except twice in which they argued with me, but they still complied with my request. So, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah. Wow.
2: It sends a strong message that this behavior is not acceptable and that you value your life. I keep saying to these kids who, who ride with drunk, drugged and destroyed. I said, don't you care about yourselves? I mean, you know, care about your friend, sure, but care about yourself. You know, don't you want to live (laughs) anyway? Wow. Wow.
0: Well, this is a, a a sobering conversation. (laughs) Uh, I, I, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's not one that people, you know, line up and, you know, stand in line to hear, uh, but I'm so grateful, Candace, for okay. for the proactive way in which you have dealt with tragedy and um, and you know spoken up to make society listen. Mm-hmm. It has made a, a dramatic difference.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, can I ask one more question here before we let you go, Candice? Um, it takes a lot of energy and time and effort and passion and all kinds of stuff to start groups that have done anywhere close to what your organizations have done and are doing. Um, how has it impacted you personally to, um, to, to both have the, the, the uh, the wherewithal to start something like this and then to see it flourish and to see the, 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 um, you know, the good outcomes that are coming from it. How has it impacted you and your life personally?
2: Well, one is I believe anyone can make a difference. I Mm -hmm. really believe in the power of people and the power of activism and um, and by the way, as an aside, I'm developing master classes on activism, on becoming a successful activist, and on how to make a movement that actually moves for the Mentor Institute, where I'll be lecturing next week at Columbia, but at a fellowship of young people from all over the world who are change makers. So I believe anybody has the capability of creating change, number one. And number two, and I don't have any patience since since Mad for people who say I can't. Oh, don't you hate it when somebody has a problem and you start trying to find solutions with them and they're just like, oh no, that won't work, and this won't work, and that won't. I just can't deal with that. You know, it's <laughs> like, let's find what will work. Oh, you know, or I'm done with you. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, I believe in the power of people. I also um I can be a real downer. In fact, I was teasing somebody the other day because I'm so safety conscious. I've just gotten a new puppy, hired a pet sitter. First thing I asked is, do you use restraints for your dogs? And she said, no. I said, we have a problem here. (laughs) Go through all the statistics and everything. She's now ordered two restraints. But I, I said, I know I'm a real downer um, because I'm always pointing out, you know, the the negative things that can happen if you don't take certain actions. So, um, you know, I, I haven't really thought about how it has it Didn't make me rich. I can tell you that. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, funny I, how that happens sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it
2: though? I'm right. And I, to be honest with you, and I, I've said this publicly, but I don't like where MAD is right now. So I'm going through my own sort of personal disappointment in the organization mm-hmm. and how it's turned out, because it's not grassroots and it's not an activist organization. It's a bureaucracy. It's the kind of organization I started MAD to fight, you know, oh, to, that wow. accomplishes nothing, in my opinion. And so that's been real disappointing and that's been a real real major downer for me which is why i kind of like we save lives why i like it a lot but because it's sort of my own little thing and we do great programs but and we're not a bureaucracy and we don't have to rely on mega bucks to exist Mm -hmm. so um and i think probably the other thing that impacted which is more of a negative was i was not able to spend the time with my children Um, that I should have after grieving, after my daughter was killed. And that was not a good thing. So Mm -hmm. I often caution people when they're getting ready to start something, if there's been a loss in the family or death in the family, that they really need to think this through and how it will affect their surviving children or family members, because I simply was not there for my children for the first five years, basically. Well, I
1: I appreciate your honesty about that, because Mm -hmm. I know that with any great kind of movement or uh, organization that emerges and really, you know, begins to flourish. It, it has, um, it has a cost, you know, somebody's, somebody's got to pay a personal price for that. And I appreciate you sharing that.
2: It's a 24 hour a day, seven day a week job, which I tell new people starting out. And as Ralph Nader says or in our a conversation we had, it, you are an entrepreneur and a visionary and to be a successful entrepreneur, like any business entrepreneur, like whomever are business entrepreneurs, you have to devote really 100 percent of your time if you want it to be successful. And they do.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're, we're grateful. Um, but thank you for um, for sharing that. I appreciate
0: well,
2: that. You're welcome.
0: Well, uh, I'm intrigued by this masterclass. Uh, I wonder if you can, uh, when will this become available? And if our listeners are interested, any idea, can you give us a hint as to where they might be able to follow up?
2: Yeah, they can go to Candice Leitner at com. my website, I think that's it. Candice Leitner at com. sign up. And as soon as they are ready... Um, I'm on the last module right now. As soon as they are ready, I'll let them know. And That's, these will be taught through the Mentora Institute, um, which is a foundation and an offshoot of the Personal Leadership Institute at from Columbia University, although the Mentora Institute is separate from Columbia. Now it's separate. Okay.
0: Fascinating. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk with us. I'm sure our listeners uh, appreciate this conversation as much as I do. Oh,
2: well, thank well,
0: you. All right, listeners, stay with us. We will return in a moment on the Positive okay. Sobriety Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And, Nate, I um, appreciate uh, Candace. Uh, joining us so much, and um, I appreciate her work and her passion for um, making change and that anybody can make a difference and make mm-hmm. it uh, in in the things that we see in our our world and our culture that that are working against us that are even harmful to us um, i I appreciated her candor there near the end because I wanted to ask her that question about. Um, kind of the toll that this takes on a person's life when you launch something like this, especially something difficult out of born out of tragedy, born out of all this, uh, you know, just terrible circumstances. And, um, somebody pays a big price to launch something like this. And so, um, I appreciate that for her and, um, but I, I am i am impressed at at the way uh, mad has impacted so many uh areas sure, sure. yeah, uh, yeah. of our culture it's 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 an amazing
2: thing
0: and when you stop and think about it you know you get out and you get in that one ton or two ton machine
2: mm-hmm.
0: and get it up to a velocity of 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 miles an hour mm-hmm. uh, I think we've been entirely too casual in our approach mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. have not recognized what a potential uh, risk we are taking and the way we are putting other people at risk. It, it is, it's an enormous responsibility every time we get behind the wheel and yep. we have, uh, we've minimized it. I have minimized it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, uh, and we as a culture, owe Candace, a great debt in, mm-hmm. uh, making us aware, uh, waking us up to exactly what's going on. And I don't doubt that she is responsible for saving hundreds of thousands of lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And her new, new organization, uh, you know, we save lives. Um, gosh, you know, it, it plays into, again, the the discussion of our our uh, obsession with our technology
2: mm-hmm. certainly
1: I mean, whether addiction's the right word but certainly our obsession with technology that we can't even drive our car without distraction yeah,
2: you know yeah.
1: and um, I, I fight the temptation all the time to uh, you look down and see who that is that just dinged my phone or yeah, you know right. all that kind yeah. of stuff and um, and there are ways that we can avoid that and yeah um, but I appreciate that she has has taken this on and that she's um, shared this with us. It's been going on for a while.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, uh, listeners before we sign off a reminder that we rely on you for feedback and pushback and recommendations and suggestions. Uh, you are a big part of the show and you help us, uh, continue to find new guests and address new topics. So, uh, if you have an idea or a suggestion, take a couple of minutes, not when you're driving, uh, if you're listening in the car, uh, you know, wait until you stop, but <laughs> <laughs> drop us a line at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com and we'll be ever so grateful. And don't forget to give us a rating uh, on the service, wherever it is you have found our podcast that helps push us up in the ratings and make us more visible. And who knows? You might play a small part in saving a life by doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave, uh, David, that's it for, for this uh, this week, I guess. It's great to hear your voice. Great to see your face. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to uh, next Now, next week, uh, yeah, we've got another great guest coming up. We do. Uh, until then, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety
1: Podcast.
0: The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rick Schnelli. Music by Rick Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford.